Good evening. I'm glad everyone can be here tonight. Tonight, me and Steve are going to be talking about the gospel of Jesus. I believe in the gospel of Jesus, and I think it's safe to assume that most everybody else here does tonight as well. The gospel means good news. Good news such as salvation through Jesus of Nazareth, and good news of God's grace through His Son. <clears throat> tonight, I'm going to be talking about why the gospel is important, and then Steve's going to follow me by talking about a few specifics concerning the gospel. So the importance of the gospel. If you would, please turn with me to Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. This was something Jesus wanted everyone to hear. Jesus desires every person on the planet to hear his good news. <clears throat> Paul understood the power of the gospel. If you would, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by, wi by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Notice how Paul described the gospel as power. In that verse, he described it as God's power to save. Next, please turn to Romans 1, 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. There, God's, he talks about God's power unto salvation. And then please t uh, go one verse down to Romans 1.17. And uh, God's righteousness is revealed in this verse. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and it is written, The just shall live by faith. There will be eternal issues for those who turn away from, from the good news. For me, it's hard to believe that people would turn away from the good news because, you know, everybody likes to hear good news. <clears throat> uh, Peter raised an important question about this. If you would, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. 1 Peter 4, verses 16 and 17. They read, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? <clears throat> first Peter echoes Paul's sentiment that no one should be ashamed of the gospel. Then he states that the house of God will not escape the judgment day. And by house of God, he means Christians, the church of Christ, those who accepted the good news. So where does that leave those who will not obey the gospel? Paul clears that up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Please turn there with me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 7. And to give you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those 
who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction for the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in, in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. <clears throat> Paul says four things. He says, The vengeance of God will fall upon them. Secondly, eternal destruction awaits them. Thirdly, denied a part of basking in God's glory. And then lastly, separated from God forever. The gospel was a vital part, was a vital interest to Jesus and his apostles. So the good news should be of vast importance in our lives also. And the gospel is important. I think we've, we understand that any time we get good news, as Corey said, we, we love good news. We cherish it. We don't want bad news. We don't hear about the bad things. Give us good news. And we've got the greatest news of all time, the gospel, the good news that Jesus brought to us and gives us. So let's talk about now some specifics from that. Within the gospel, there are some specific facts or certain facts that we must believe. For example, Jesus was crucified for our sins. Isaiah wrote about this in Isaiah chapter 53. I love to read this chapter, as a matter of fact, as I'm partaking of the Lord's Supper. It reminds me of what the Messiah, which we believe is Jesus, went through, was going to go through, and did go through. In Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 4, uh, Isaiah wrote, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. The Father and God put on Jesus our sins and our iniquities, and he was crucified a horrible death for us. Jesus was crucified for our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and verse 3. We've already read that text, and Keith read that for us. But notice that last part, verse 3 especially. And here he talks about, I've given you the gospel. I have declared the gospel to you. And he begins in verse 3 by stating here's what it is to begin with. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, according to the Old Testament, according to the prophecies. Jesus died for us. A horrible, horrific death, but he did. Something else within the gospel, certain facts, is that Jesus, yes, he died, but he was raised from the dead. Again, same in that same context of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul will go on to state and that he was buried and that he, was, and he rose again the third day, again, according to the Scriptures, according to the Old Testament. Jesus didn't stay dead. He conquered death, and he conquered death for us. You know, he, he was crucified, he died for us, but he also conquered death for us and gives us hope. One of the centerpieces, if you will, the day, the very day the church began, was that the apostles and those speaking were absolutely adamant that they saw Jesus alive. Three days later, they saw the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth. 
proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was the Christ. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. They were willing to give their lives, to put their lives literally on the line because people didn't want to hear that message. They thought they had killed him. They thought he was out of the way, and they're standing up and saying, no, we saw him alive. We're witnesses. We saw him. Also, other certain facts. Jesus was exalted as both Lord and Christ. The very next statements that Peter makes and the apostles make after stating, we're witnesses, we saw him raised from the dead, they make this statement. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus ascended, he came back from the dead, ascended back to heaven, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Master and the Anointed One. And that's Jesus. And that's certain things that we are certain facts concerning the gospel. But something else. Another fact of the gospel, the good news, is we're not going to be left wondering, was this it? I believe Jesus now, and that's all there is to it. No, there's coming a judgment day, and everybody's going to be judged. And the faithful have a place prepared for them. Jesus is coming to judge everybody. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and verse 31, passages we're all familiar with. Paul said this, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all, and here's your proof, by raising him from the dead. That's why Jesus will be the righteous judge. He conquered death. And he came back from it. But also as we think about some of the specifics of the gospel, there are certain commandments that the gospel, the good news, talks about. Certain things, certain criteria, if you will, that we must meet. For example, we are commanded to believe. We're commanded to have faith. Uh, In a very simple statement, yet profound moment, Jesus made this statement. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Faith, believing that Jesus is who he said he was. Believing in the Father of heaven. Believing in the Bible. Believing in all these things. But believing. Can you really be baptized without believing first? I don't think so. Can you truly repent or have a penitent heart without faith in Christ? Is that, is that godly sorrow or is that a worldly sorrow? It all starts, the basis, the foundation is our faith and our belief in Jesus as the Christ. We are commanded to confess our faith. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and verse 10, the Bible states this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, with the mouth confession is made into salvation. We make that good confession. The Ethiopian treasurer, the eunuch, 
did this in Acts chapter 8 when Philip is talking to him and they're talking about baptism, talking about being saved, saving saving yourself from your sins. Philip asked him, would you believe with all your heart? And he said, the Ethiopian said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This and other passages is why we ask before someone's baptized, well, do you really believe? And we make that confession. That's one of the certain commands to obey in the Bible, in the Gospels. Another one is we are commanded to repent. Commanded to repent. We have no, we have to. Jesus made this statement in Luke chapter 24. He said, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins, sins should be preached in his name to all nations. And, of course, beginning at Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria and so forth. But repentance. Again, not that we got caught doing something. It's understanding that there's a God in heaven. Jesus is his son. There is a law that we're supposed to be following. And we understand, I broke that law. And I'm sorry, God, that I broke that law. And I really mean it. That's penitence. That's repentance. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, we're told to repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It all hinges upon repentance. Even back in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 again when the church began, the first thing Peter said was repent. Matter of fact, that's what John the Baptist had told people before they come to be baptized. You need to repent first. You need to change your ways. Within the gospel also, we are commanded to be baptized. And there's many passages we could look at. Uh, The one, I just chose one for tonight. It's one that I use a lot because I think it's powerful and uh, I can remember it pretty easily. It's not that hard to remember. Um, but this is Paul. This is Ananias talking to the, to Paul, Saul at the time. And Paul is he's praying. He, he's he's meditating. He, he he realizes apparently, obviously, what he has done, what he's been doing. But Ananias is like, if I may paraphrase, Paul, what are you doing? What are you waiting on? Get yourself up. Get yourself baptized and wash away your sins. That's calling on the name of the Lord. We are commanded to be baptized. But another command is this. After we become a Christian, our religious life, our Christian life doesn't start. Matter of fact, this just started. And we are told, we are commanded, you have to remain faithful. John wrote this, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in into prison, that you may be tested, and you have tribulation ten days. In other words, there's some bad, bad things going to happen to you. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted. And John wrote via Jesus, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Stay faithful till you die. That's a doctrine that a lot of us, a lot of people, I think, have a problem with. I want to go, I want to just say on this just one more second, if I may. Would you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3? Hebrews chapter 3. There's several. I could go to 1 Corinthians 10, several other places, but I want to look at Hebrews chapter 3 and just try to drive home a point here. 
because with all due respect you may be in the audience, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck or arrogant in any way. I humbly approach God, at least I try to. And I don't know all the answers. I don't know everything. But one thing I do know, once saved, always saved, is just not the truth. It's just not. Now, again, I could go to several, several passages. But look at Hebrews chapter 3. And let's begin um, with verse Let's begin with verse 12, which states, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You can lose your salvation. Once you become a Christian, it can be gone. Paul, uh, excuse me, the Hebrew writer goes on to state, for we have become partakers of Christ if, small word, big consequences. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast, how long? To the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then he gives an example. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? These were people, these were the chosen people coming out of Egypt and thousands upon thousands never made it to the promised land because they sinned against God. We can lose our souls and salvations even after becoming Christian. We must stay faithful till death to receive that crown of life. But lastly, some of the specifics of the gospel is this. There are certain promises that God has given. And there are promises that we can receive. For example, one of the greatest ones, the promise of our sins forgiven. Completely forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 is a very powerful verse. It says, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Because He shed His blood for us, we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Through His blood, through His grace. Where would we be right now if Jesus had not gone through with allowing His blood to spill on the ground in Jerusalem? Where would we be right now if God did not extend us grace every moment of our lives, where would we be? And I love this statement. We are forgiven, or we can be forgiven, because of what God did and what Jesus did by giving himself fully. The promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And I don't get in-depth about that, because one reason is I can't. That's a tough subject for me. But one thing I think that I can ascertain that I can, I've come to grips with is when the people in the first century, when they became Christians, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And they had spiritual gifts. And they had the gift of knowledge and things like that. But do we receive that? Do we receive the same thing when you are baptized, when you become a Christian? You know, Jesus... In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, told the apostles as they were 
upset, worried that Jesus has said, I'm going away. And he tells them, well, I have to go away. And don't worry. First of all, he says, don't worry. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back and receive you. But then he goes on to talk about, you know, I have to go away. I have to because if I don't go away, he states in these chapters, then I can't send the comforter back. I can't send the helper back. I can't send the Holy Spirit back. See, Jesus promised the apostles he would do that. And in Acts chapter 1, he told them again. He said, stay here in Jerusalem and you'll be endowed with power from on high. In other words, the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, that happened. The promise was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 and the apostles received that and they began to speak in tongues and, and prophesy. And they, they did great and wonderful things there on that day. But I didn't do that when I was baptized. I don't think you did either. So again, what, what does it mean for us, the promise of the gift? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes this, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And if you continue on reading within that context, Paul will talk about how you don't know what I'm thinking and you don't know what I'm feeling, you don't know my emotions until I let you know. Oh, you may see my countenance change. You, you may see me just be down the dumps. Or you may see me jump for joy. That might be a facade. You really don't know what I'm thinking until I tell you. Within that context, Paul states, guess what? You don't know what God is thinking until he tells you. And that's why I think the gift today is this right here. The New Testament, the gospel, all the letters, everything that pertains to godliness and life and godliness is contained in that. That's our gift. That's what the Holy Spirit has given us. The gift or the promise of eternal life. What a promise that is. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 22, we read this. But now having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, in other words, we've given our entire lives, we've given our souls back to God and said, God, we've put our trust in you. Having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. Everlasting. I can't think about that enough. I can't say it enough. Everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. Take Jesus' blood away. Take God's grace away. Take everything away. And we just, we should die. And it should be over with. That's the way, the wages of sin is I don't deserve anything God's given me. But the gift of God is eternal life because of Christ Jesus our Lord. Through Him, we have the hope of redemption. If you would take out your hymn books and turn to the song of encouragement that's been, pre been prepared. I hope this lesson has helped you. Uh, we've just all we want to do, all Corey and I want to do, is just talk about the why the gospel is important. It's good news. It's the greatest news in the world. It's Jesus stating, "I love you." It's God saying, "I love you." And I want you to come be with me forever.
and here's how you can do it. Easy? I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's worth the life. That's how important it is. And as we look at some of these specifics, I just went through. You've know, you got to have faith and, and be willing to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And to be really penitent in your heart. Understanding that you've wronged God and you want to change. And to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And become a Christian. And to stay faithful. And sometimes we just don't stay faithful. It's hard for us not to sin again. It's just very hard. But again, God has promised, I didn't put it on here, but it's still a promise that if we'll ask, if we'll confess, even after becoming a Christian, as long as we're alive and breathing, and we can still talk to God, and we can still confess, God said, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. So if you're subject to the invitation as we sing this song, please come forward as we stand and sing.